This podcast is sponsored by our partner, QXMD. QXMD builds mobile solutions that drive evidence-based medicine in clinical practice. Check out READ for easy access to research personalized for you. And CALCULATE for over 500 easy-to-use decision support tools. Try them today at qxmd.com apps. Again, that is qxmd.com apps. Welcome. You're listening to Back Talk Doc, where you'll find answers to some of the most common questions about back pain and spine health. Brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, where providing personalized, highly skilled, and compassionate spine care has been our specialty for over 75 years. And now, it's time to understand the cause of back pain and learn about options to get you back on track. Here's your Back Talk Doc, Dr. Sanjeev Lakia. Being a spine physician now for almost 15 plus years, as many of you who listen to my show know, I'm always on the lookout for ways that I can help my patients improve the health of their back, particularly with natural methods, uh, less invasive methods, and methods that can really be integrated into their day-to-day routine and their life. And one of the things that I've been blessed with as we started this podcast at Backtalk Doc, it's been over a year now and some 30-plus episodes in, is I've had uh, several people reach out to me with messages that they would like to share with the community. And today, it's uh, my privilege to welcome to the show Dr. Turner Osler, who is a physician and by trade, an academic trauma surgeon. He has a very interesting story and a message that he's trying to spread across the country, and if not farther, about the importance of proper sitting as it pertains to your back. So, Turner, welcome to the show today. It's great to be here. Let me start by introducing you to the listeners. I did have the pleasure earlier today of watching a TED Talk that you gave. I think it was back in May of 2019. So now I know I am interviewing a celebrity. So this puts some pressure on me. But for those of you who don't know, Dr. Osler, Turner has academic trauma surgeon backstory. He got a Bachelor of Arts in Neurobiology from Princeton. He went to the Medical College of Virginia and then did a surgical residency through Columbia and Harvard and a fellowship at the University of New Mexico. And then he spent 20 years as an academic trauma surgeon through the University of Vermont, and it has over 300 peer-reviewed papers and book chapters. About a decade ago, though, he kind of went off the script and got a master's in biostatistics and an NIH grant, and he abandoned the operating room to study trauma epidemiology. And then somewhere in the last several years, he became obsessed with problems that come from sitting too much, and especially with sitting badly. And really, since there weren't many people in this space, Turner and some friends created a company to make active sitting chairs affordable enough for everyone. And he lives in Colchester with his wife, son, and dog, who have been surprisingly tolerant of his mania, as he says, and are being gradually drawn into his madness, except the dog. So that is his background and bio, anything you'd like to add to that as the listeners tune in and get to know you a little better today? That makes me sound more erudite than I am, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Thank you. To be honest, though, he also, folks, he sent me his curriculum vitae and we had to reload the printer with paper as the pages just kept coming out. This is one very accomplished position and it's a real pleasure to dive into 
kind of the message he's trying to spread. So I'll get right to it. You are founder of a company called QOR360 that essentially has developed technology for a chair that creates what you call an active sitting environment. So before we dive into the company and the product, I'm really curious to know a little more about your path from academic renowned trauma surgeon to a spine entrepreneur. Can you walk me through that a little bit? Yeah, well, it certainly wasn't planned. I had planned a calm retirement, you know, windsurfing and practicing martial arts. But as I was, as I switched to epidemiology, you know, suddenly I'm writing computer code all day, sitting in front of a computer instead of, you know, running from the OR to the ICU to the clinic back and forth all day. I went from the peripatetic life of a trauma surgeon to just like sitting in front of the computer. But for the first time in my life, my back started to bother me. And I thought, well, sheesh, you know, what's up with that? So I bought basically every gizmo ergonomic chair there was, you know, the yoga ball, the kneeling chair, all that stuff. None of it really helped at all. And so I thought, I wonder if anybody understands this. So I started reading the ergonomics literature and actually going to academic ergonomics conferences. And I was stunned at how little is understood about how sitting interacts with the human body. We've been sitting on the same old design of office chair now for 50 or maybe 100 years, depending on how you count. And still, 80% of America has back pain at some point in their lives bad enough to send them looking for professional help. So if our ergonomic community understands the problem, how come they haven't solved it? It was this conundrum for me until I started reading the anthropologic literature. And it turns out in places where people don't sit, in the Western way, you know, with their ankles at 90 degrees, their knees at 90 degrees, and their hips trying to be at 90 degrees. In these other cultures, think of Japan or think of South Korea or think of Sub-Saharan Africa, where people squat or they sit seiza or they sit with their legs crossed on the ground. These places don't have back pain. So the, the clear epidemiologic implication is that it's our chairs that are causing the problem. It's not an easy problem to solve because everybody thinks our chairs are God-given. Chairs are part of our built environment. We just don't see them any more than a fish sees the water it swims in. We think of the chairs that we have are normal, and they are not. Humans are not designed to sit all day. It's completely outside our design envelope. We have the bodies of hunter-gatherers that were developed over 4 billion years, if you count all the prototypes, or maybe in daily use for 3 million years. We're simply not set up to sit slumped in front of a PC all day. And so if you can't arrange for people to stop sitting, how do you arrange for them to sit in a way that at least is non-destructive? That was the core problem that I came up against. And I wanted to solve it for myself. But as I got into it, it seemed like a much bigger problem and one that was worth solving generally. Because it turns out it's not just a matter of posture and back pain. There's also the whole issue of sitting disease. It turns out when people sit for many hours a day, and in America we sit on average 8 or even 12 hours a day, how's that even possible? Breakfast, lunch, dinner in front of a computer at home, in front of a PC at work, in front of a television, it adds up. So when we sit this much, our spines are pretty adaptable, but they aren't adapted for sitting slumped in an odd posture for 12 hours a day. It's a hard problem because we want to we actually have people up 
and moving, hunting and gathering, which isn't going to happen. So it started, it sounds like it started in your mind with a simple question about sitting. And I think this question is especially timely during the lifespan of COVID-19 and the pandemic, because I can tell you in my clinic as a practicing outpatient physiatrist, I am seeing what you just called as sitting disease. And it's not just back pain. It's I'm seeing neck pain. I'm seeing headaches. I'm seeing weight gain. I'm seeing mood disorder, relationship problems. And I think a lot of it is from us becoming plastered to our chairs. And the idea is, what are we doing to our physiology? So you're asking a terrific question. And actually, when I first kind of heard about your approach and the company and the idea that other cultures don't have the back pain issues we do in the United States, what came to me was, and I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Esther Gokhale, the Gokhale Method. And in her book, you know, she is a, and I have not met her, but I've gone through her materials, quite frankly, to help my patients as well as myself, because it's not too far ago that I went through some back issues and actually had to get some injections. We're talking like November. So I'm always on the quest as a spine physiatrist to practice what I preach and find simple solutions. And we'll link to her book. I'm going to link as well to your TED Talk, because I think that it was a terrific TED Talk. In her text, she gives photographs of you know native people in India and other cultures and just shows their posture versus ours and how they can sit for hours, stand for hours. They can hold massive weights on the top of their head and they don't have any back pain. And then you compare it to what's going on in our modern culture and it's really, really striking. So I wondered if you were influenced a little bit by some of the work that she did or Perhaps you just kind of stumbled upon the same anthropologic research as you were asking your pertinent questions. Oh, no, I read her book with great interest, of course, because I think I've read almost everything in this space. And the photographs in her book are terrific. You know, they really, they really show the brilliant posture that humans are, really is our human birthright, right? I mean, we're entitled to that beautiful posture, but it's taken from us by our chair-centric culture. When you think about it, kids, when they're born, are natural and beautiful squatters. You know, if they lose their balance, they just sink into a squat quite comfortably, and they can stay there and eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and then get up and carry on. Adults pretty much can't squat at all, and they certainly can't squat comfortably for an entire peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So what is it that happens to kids that robs them of their ability to squat? Well, it's because we put them in chairs. and they lose the flexibility required for squatting. Squatting isn't an odd posture. It's, it's how human beings rested for most of their hunter-gatherer career. You know, squatting is a great posture because you're, it's an active rest posture, as uh, Lieberman calls it, where people are balanced over their ankles. So they're, they have some muscular activity, but it's much more restful than standing up. To lose that posture, it's a very sad thing that we've taken it basically away from all of our children when they're born with naturally perfect posture. You can see that our chairs are shaping us. Winston Churchill said, we shape our environment once, and then it shapes us forever. The idea is that we are in intimate contact with chairs for 8 or 10 or 12 hours a day, and our chairs are reshaping our anatomy and our physiology. While we love sitting on our chairs, our chairs do not love us back. Our chairs are killing us. 
There's good epidemiologic work to show that people who sit more than eight hours a day lose, on average, two life years. Yeah. One of the uh, kind of catchphrases now is that sitting is the new smoking. I think it's worse, though, because with smoking, you can take the cigarette out of your mouth. With sitting, like, can't tell people to not sit at all. Now, your mission is to help people sit properly. Let's, let's break it down a little bit, though, for some of the clinicians and physical therapists who listen to my show. I'll give you my take on where sitting can become a problem, and then you can add, subtract, or amplify this, okay? So one of the things that we know biomechanically is that when you put pressure probes in lumbar discs, there's two positions that increase or jack up the reading substantially. And the first one is just sitting. And the second one is sitting and leaning forward in a slightly flexed position. And this is why a lot of times people will say, all I did was lean over to tie my shoe and my back went out. For listeners, that is one area to consider is excessive amounts of sitting. What is it doing to your lumbar discs? Secondly, though, I think there's a whole host of physiologic changes that go along with sitting for long periods of time. And to me, one of the main detrimental effects is the effect on your breathing, your inability to have diaphragmatic breathing, which then sets off a chain reaction of muscle tightness up the spinal axis into the head, neck, and shoulders. And then certainly, if you're not breathing deeply, you are no longer living in a parasympathetic state and you are now more in a stress state. And then, you know, I could go on and on and on with that. That's the lens which I view a few of the major problems with prolonged sitting. What are your thoughts on what is the problem with the way we sit and sitting in general right now? So I'm aware of that literature where they were putting pressure probes into spinal discs. How did they ever get that past the IRB? That must be... This is rat studies. <laughs> How do you get a rat to sit in a chair? Right. These are hard questions. But it is true, certainly, that when people sit in a slump posture, everything changes. Their discs go from, in very short order, from being discs to being wedges, of course, which is why when people get up from you know sitting for a few hours in front of their computer slump, the first few steps are pretty remarkable as they're trying to wrestle their discs from wedges back into discs. So you know that you've been really abusing your disc by squashing them into an unnatural position and then keeping them there for hours. Discs need to imbibe fluid as they're compressed and flexed and extended, which doesn't happen when people are slumped in front of their computer for long periods of time. And as you point out, it also restricts the thoracic cage so people aren't breathing as deeply. There are bigger problems afoot even than that. We also know that lipoprotein lipase, an important enzyme in the human milieu interior, as they say, goes down when people are sitting with their muscles electrochemically dark. Their muscles aren't just, as you know, mechanical units that move your bones. They're immensely metabolically active factories that spin off hormones and, and enzymes that affect our internal biochemistry. So when your muscles go electrochemically dark, your bad cholesterol goes up, your good cholesterol goes down, your insulin goes up, all of these, and your baseline inflammation levels go up, all of these things resulting in an increase in all-cause mortality. The business of sitting slumped in front of a computer is altering you in ways that predispose you to having back pain, but also take years off your life. I mean, and your analogy to smoking, I think, is a very strict one. You know, sitting is the new smoking. 
just as smoking was invisible to people in the 1950s because everybody smoked, it was normal. Even physicians were smoking. So, you know, what's the problem? It was very hard to get people to buy into the idea that smoking was actually a public health catastrophe, heart disease, emphysema, lung cancer. And statisticians of the time said, well, you know, you could, you could never actually do such a study. You'd have to assign people to smoke or not smoke. It wouldn't be a, they just needed better math. It's embarrassing what happened in the 50s. Fortunately, we've gotten past that now, and we pretty much all understand that smoking is a terrible idea. But now it turns out that sitting is almost as bad an idea in terms of its impact on our health. But just as with smoking, chairs are invisible to us because we think they're normal. You cannot look out of a window unless you're sitting on a chair. If you try sitting on the floor, you can't see out the window. Our very architecture presupposes you're sitting in a chair. So what's to be done? Well, my mentor in public health was Susan Baker at the Bloomberg School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins. And Sue taught us all that you can't shame people or berate people or belittle people into behaving better. They'll forget or they'll ignore you. No one wants to be harassed. What you must do is you must redesign the environment to make it safer for people. And so, you know, airbags are a great example. You know, your airbag works whether you're paying attention or not. Or even perhaps before airbags, and even a better example is divided highways. By simply putting a mechanical divider down the middle of a highway, People can't run into each other head on at 60 miles an hour. The idea is to change the environment in a way that makes it safer for people so that they don't have to make conscious decisions every day or maybe many times a day for better health. This is where the idea of if we can just change the way a chair interacts with a person so that they stay in constant motion, we can make sitting healthful rather than destructive. Okay, so... Again, if you're listening and you're just curious, it's qor360.com. And right on the homepage, you'll see a beautiful picture of the uh, bright uh, red chair. What's the model name? So we named it Ariel after the wife of one of our medical students who was just in love with the thing. She loved it so much, we named it after her. Well, folks, I did ask if they would send me one that I could try. So when I talked with Turner, I could have a genuine feedback. and. Let me share my feedback with you. And you haven't heard this yet. So you're probably sitting there. I hope he says, okay. (laughs) And then we can talk a little more about it. The first thing I would say is it was very easy to put together. I was a little intimidated by the box coming in. And my staff brings this back to me and like, what do we do with this? And I said, all right, let's open it. Let's take a look. And it was literally in like five minutes, I had the thing put together. And I am I'm good at a lot of things in life, but as my wife would attest, you give me screwdrivers, hammers, and nails, and I am basically looking to call someone. So if I can do it, pretty much anyone can do it. Now, the accompanying brochures, they're very clear, they're very simple that number one, this is not a toy. Number two, you want to take your time kind of breaking it in because it's a new way of sitting. And I was a little concerned because I have dealt with a disc issue in my back as recently as November, and I missed some time from work. So my, my staff was like, are you sure you want to try this? So I, I took your advice and I titrated up. I started with five minutes and worked up a little bit longer. And this past week, I was actually doing a virtual conference. I'm a fellow at the Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine, and we had our residential week. So I was on the computer a lot. So I took this puppy home and I alternated it with my other chair. And I have to tell you, I was 
I was very impressed with it. The first thing it does is you it makes you sit a little more forward and create a slight anterior pelvic tilt, which I found to be a little bit more comfortable and probably more consistent with the wedge-shaped form of the L5-S1 disc. The second thing it does is it does make you activate some of your core muscles because you are on an unstable surface, a slightly unstable surface. And it doesn't take a whole lot, I think, to get get some activity firing. And these are muscles that I know for a fact I don't fire when I sit in typical chairs. In particular, the three-year-old chair that I use from Costco is not giving me anything and is more like a recliner at this point. So my experience was pretty good. I probably sat in the chair on average over the last week I would say probably two hours or so. And I got through it. I wasn't worse. I actually feel pretty good coming out of that. I didn't have as much back fatigue by the end of the day. I did have a little muscle soreness, maybe in my transverse abdominis and my obliques a little bit, but it felt like muscle soreness from after doing physical therapy versus back pain. So I was very, very encouraged by the product. I'd like to lead that into... I want to know what your description is and what you mean by, and so the listeners can learn, when you say active sitting, because I think that's what I did. I did active sitting on the chair for the last week, but for people who really don't understand that, can you break that down for us? It's an interesting thing. And thanks so much for trying out one of our chairs. You know, I just love that you wanted one before we, before we did a podcast because that wins my heart that you know people are interested in what this actually is about rather than just going through the motions or whatever. So it's terrific. And all of your experiences are what I've heard many, many times before. Our chairs are more work than you might think, and it comes as quite a surprise. And even people who are in pretty good shape find that the next day they can be a little bit sore in the sense of a workout soreness, not pathologic soreness, because it really does activate your core muscles, as you discovered. These are big muscles, the transversalis, the internal and external oblique, the multi fetus. They're big muscles. They're not moving a lot, but they're moving constantly. So their metabolic rate goes up by about 20%, which, as I alluded to earlier, has really important metabolic consequences for warding off the heart attack that you were going to have 30 years from now. We take our chairs out on you know, a sunny day in Burlington, Vermont, when tourists around. And we put some chairs out on the, the walking street in Burlington, Church Street, just, just to kind of see what will happen. And it's very interesting. You know, people sit down on our chairs, and because they're a little bit unstable, they immediately lose their balance a little bit. And you, know, you see a little bit of the whites of their eyes as they find their balance. And then within one minute, certainly within two minutes, their sternum comes up and their shoulders come down and the head comes back and balances on the atlas and axis, the, the first two cervical vertebra. And really within two minutes, people are kind of sitting very good posture, kind of like people sitting in meditation, the noble posture, their head balanced perfectly on the top of their spine and all the rest of them balanced on their ischial tuberosities. This happens because our chairs, because they're a little bit unstable, allow the pelvis to try a whole lot of different configurations. And every time the pelvis moves to a new direction, the rest of the spine responds with spinal reflexes that were laboriously programmed over the first few years of a child's life as they went from creeping to crawling to toddling to walking. You know, your spine knows what to do with gravity. It's hardwired at the spinal reflex level. So if you just free people's pelvis, their spine then finds its own perfect posture by trying out several different, many, many different postures. 
very quickly. And it doesn't move to a new posture unless it feels better. And then by mathematics, you call this a Markov chain Monte Carlo simulation, where the, the spine can try out a lot of positions quite quickly until it finds a very natural, balanced position. And it's not just about sitting. I love this story. When again out on Church Street in Burlington one day, some 13 or 14-year-old girl was sitting at the periphery on one of our chairs, just kind of trying it out, not just kind of blissing out no, in the sun, you know, no phone, just kind of rocking back and forth for two minutes, four minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Then she gets up and walks away. But she doesn't get 10 strides before she turns around and says, you know, I think it makes me walk better. The way her spine interacted with gravity had been, in some sense, reset so that she could interact more naturally with better posture. And that better posture transferred from sitting to walking to whatever it is she was going to do next. So I think of our chairs as a way of a sort of wordless pedagogy about helping people find a better posture without having to read a book or watch a video or hire a trainer or go to the chiropractor. It just allows people's spinal reflexes to do what they do best, which is interact with gravity in a way that optimizes our bony architecture. One question I have for you. I did find at times a little discomfort, maybe around the ischial tuberosity region. Was I too far forward in the chair, or is that just something that you have to get used to? No, you're completely normal. And we wrestled with this. A lot of people have had input to this chair, Feldenkrais types and Alexander Technique types and martial artists and Pilates people and yoga people. And they were quite firm with me that people needed to be able to feel their ischial tuberosities in order to get their to know where their spine was in space so they could organize their posture. And if you want to make a chair firm enough that people can actually feel their ischial tuberosities, well, most people aren't accustomed to feeling their ischial tuberosities because they're, they've been sitting in big, poofy couches or yoga balls or something where their ischial tuberosities never touch anything. You know, it's only the bicyclists who really have experience with their, where their ischial tuberosities touch down. I think it's within our design envelope that people's ischial tuberosities, they have bursa, like with bicyclists. You know, by the, at the beginning of the riding season, it's a little uncomfortable to be back on your saddle, but very shortly, your ischial tuberosities adapt to it. Yeah, you know what? That's a great analogy to ride, kind of riding a bike when you first start out. So a couple of questions here. I did have, you know, so I work at Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine. I don't know if you know much about us, but we're one of the largest. I looked at your website, Holy Toledo. You guys own neurosurgery in, in North Carolina. Just made the audiogram for the episode. That's fantastic. You know, the group is, I'm very privileged to work at this group. We're one of the premier neurosurgery groups in the country. Then we have a collection of physiatrists uh, like myself that help treat the non-operative spine care. But we also have an extensive physical therapy department. So as soon as a chair came in, I got set up. I went down and grabbed Eleanor, one of my physical therapist here and I had her take a look at it and uh, she sat on it and kind of gave me an interesting look like mm, this is good mm, I'm not sure I'm like, one of the questions that we had and we wanted to throw out to you well first before I ask this question I think let's describe the chair because unfortunately you know this is audio not video and if people are driving and listening I want to let you just visually describe the chair and describe what's unique about the chair and why it creates this active sitting process. And, and folks, if you have a chance, go watch his about 10-minute TED Talk. He has some nice slides that talk about this movable piece that creates a little bit of this instability. 
that seems to be the secret sauce to the chair. But for someone who's driving, they're like, what are they talking about? I want to, I don't understand what they're talking about. Paint a mental picture. Right. So the idea of active sitting is to make a chair that tips just a little bit effortlessly in every direction, eight or 10 degrees. So it's not a lot of motion, but it's enough to make your spine have to think about where it is in space and organize itself in a way that's optimal. And there are other active chairs out in the world. We're not the only one. Heck, one company took out a Super Bowl ad for their active chairs. You can find it if you look around on the web. We think ours are the best because we've spent a lot of time on prototyping and developing them. And ours are by far the least expensive because as an epidemiologist, I understand very clearly that people can't afford a solution. It's no solution at all. So our company's mission is to not just make these things, but to make them as inexpensively as possible so that everybody can have one. And the way we did that was to make the mechanism that makes the chair unstable as drop-dead simple as we could. And so after more prototypes than I can care to recall, came up with a geometric solid, and this will it's hard to explain this, but it's the volume of intersection of two cylinders at right angles with non-coincident axes and possibly different radii. It's a new geometric solid that looks like some kind of weirdo squashed star cruiser with smooth curves in every direction so that if you just slide it under, it's only an inch and a half thick. So if you slide it under the seat pan of a chair, now the chair tilts easily in every direction. And because it's just a geometric shape, it's inexpensive to manufacture and it doesn't wear out. And you know, there are a lot of advantages to making a shape do all the work. Surprising to me, you can own a shape. So we have a patent on this shape. Archimedes sniffed around it 2,000 years ago, but he was always examining structures with coincident axes. And we were we hit on the idea of a non-coincident axis sort of situation. So we got a whole new geometric solid. So by sliding this thing under the seat pan of a chair, and you might not notice it if you weren't looking, you get a chair that tips easily in every direction, and that basically changes everything about sitting. Because now, rather than your posture being imposed from without by the headrest, the footrest, the backrest, the armrest, and the coup de grace, lumbar support rammed into your low back trying to restore something that looks like normal posture, our chairs allow a naturally organic posture to emerge because you're constantly rejiggering your posture, really millisecond by millisecond, as your spine responds to gravity. I'll say one more thing. If you look around on the web, you can, you can find a picture of a guy walking that's striking. It's, it's on YouTube because he has no legs. You know, he was born with congenital agenesis of his femur, so he's got no legs. But he walks along quite comfortably because he's, he's walking on his ischial tube velocities. You know, his strides are quite short, just two or three inches. But you can see he's walking with good balance and good posture and quite confidently, just striding along on his ischial tuberosities. And when I saw this piece of video, you know, the penny dropped for me. This guy is walking, and legs have nothing to do with walking. Walking is about your spine and your pelvis and how they interact. Your legs are just an amplification system that let you take, let you get where you're going quicker. But walking per se is something that happens with your spine and your pelvis. And our chairs allow people's spine and pelvis to walk, but without the burden of having to decide where you're going, because all of the freedom of walking is built into our chair. Basically, people can be walking the whole time they're sitting, but without needing a treadmill and having the overhead of 
as you may know, if you get on a treadmill at more than about 1.5 miles an hour, you can't mouse or type accurately, and your cubicle mates will revolt because you're making a lot of racket, and the treadmill desk, I think, is not going to happen. But you get most of what's going on with walking merely by making the seat pan of a chair unstable. That, to me, was a revelation. That is amazing. Okay, so this leads me to the question for my physical therapist, which essentially is, how is this different than sitting on a stability ball? Right. So the yoga ball was, of course, invented in Sweden. They were using them in neonatal intensive care units for posturally draining kids to try and keep them off the ventilator. And then they got bigger and they were they got transferred to gyms and yoga studios and stuff like that. And then as people were revolting against the crappy office chairs that we're all forced to sit in, the yoga ball seemed like an obvious thing because if I can get 20 minutes on a yoga ball at the yoga studio or the gym, then having all day would be great, wouldn't it? And it sounds like a great idea, but there are really serious issues with the yoga ball. The first is that yoga balls are made out of plastic and they're inflated. Plastic over time loses its plasticizer. And so it's not a matter of if, but when a yoga ball fails. And when they fail, they fail catastrophically. They just suddenly deflate and whoever on it goes to ground. I talked to the head of HR at University of Michigan at an ergonomics conference and discovered that they had banned the yoga ball throughout the University of Michigan because they'd had a head injury that needed burr holes and workman's comp. They had like five catastrophic ball failures. And, and she said, you know, <laughs> they just banned them outright. But if you're going to have, if you're going to allow yoga balls, you must throw them all out on January 1 and buy all new because a yoga ball that's less than a year old is less likely to fail. So that's the first thing is, you know, even if you're a skilled martial artist, if somebody suddenly deflates the yoga ball you're sitting on, you're going to land pretty hard. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the height of your chair is really crucially important because you need to have your hips higher than your knees so you can have an open hip angle. And so your psoas doesn't can pull a little bit on your lumbar spine and, and reestablish your lumbar lordosis. So for the business of having your knees lower than your hips is crucial. It's hard to, to dial that in if you can't adjust the height of your chair. And nobody knows how tall a yoga ball is because it kind of depends on how much the person sitting on it weighs and the inflation pressure and the barometric pressure of the room and the temperature, you know, all that. So you can't really get the height of a yoga ball right because it's not adjustable. And the final thing to really hate about yoga balls is because they're inflated, your ischial tuberosities, as we discussed before, can't really feel where they are in space. And so they just get kind of lost. And people wind up in the same old slump they would have been sitting in in their crappy ergonomic chair. They're just now sitting on a yoga ball that might suddenly pop. So as far as I can see, yoga balls are all downside, except you know they're very inexpensive. Now, that's, that's a good breakdown. I didn't think about some of those things. Do you feel like there's any contraindications or situations where someone maybe should not consider using a chair like this to promote active sitting? Right. Now, this, this comes up a lot because, you know, I have an MD and, and we've sold 5,000 of these things over the web. And so I get peppered with emails from people saying, you know, I have scoliosis or I have sacralogenesis or I have this or that or the other thing. Is your chair good for me? And of course, we don't have data on all these different conditions and how they might interact with our chair. It's very hard for me because the answer just isn't known. I would say this, though, and this is what I tell people mostly, I say, well, you know, it's very unlikely that our chair will do any harm. It's unlikely to cause any mischief. And if, it, if our chair should make your 
neck pain worse or your elbow swell or whatever, just stop. Send it back. We'll refund your money and pay postage both ways. We're not trying to stick you with a chair. We're trying to help people sit better. So people think it's terrific and that I'm a generous guy by saying, you know, we'll pay the postage both ways. But really, only about 4% of our chairs come back. You know, 96% of people love these things. The one scenario that I would envision a little bit of caution, and not necessarily caution forever, but some of our patients who have lumbar disc herniations, and the most common location would be L4-5 or L5-S1, some of them are actually extension sensitive, meaning when they lean back or arch their back, it can trigger some nerve pain down the leg. And that can be an initial phenomenon with the lumbar disc. Now, I would say most lumbar discs are flexion sensitive and do better in extension. And this chair definitely puts you into a little bit more spinal extension, which probably is actually the right posture, right? So you want to have, you want to take advantage of a lumbar lordosis and the wedge-shaped L5-S1 disc. But I think if someone has, is in the initial acute to subacute phase of a disc herniation with a radiculopathy, with a radiating pain down the back of the leg, it behooves them to ask a very, very simple question, I think, before they look to buy the chair. And that would be, when I lay on my stomach, do I feel better or do I feel worse? And if laying on your stomach makes you feel worse, then I think in that stage, you probably want to avoid this type of sitting posture, at least until that calms down. I'm pretty much on board with the idea that creating an active sitting process, creating a scenario where you're on your sit bones and you're more upright and you're taking advantage of lordosis is probably how we should be doing it. And it really resonated with me when you talked about, I think it was in your talk, how the chairs we sit in now are designed to cushion us and provide comfort and how that's harming us. And in fact, I mentioned to an employee that I was interviewing you today, and I said, you know, he's in the start of this company and they made this chair that promotes better sitting. And she said, oh, does it provide better support? I said, actually, no, it doesn't provide better support. Like that's the point. And I don't know if you've taken a, had a chance to look, if you go on YouTube and look at your TED Talk and go down into the comments. Now, sometimes the comments are full of like, you know, you don't want to read the comments because it doesn't matter what you do in life. There's always going to be naysayers and, and haters. But one, one of the comments says, where's the armrest? <laughs> so <laughs> like, whoop, you just missed the whole point of the TED Talk. So anyway, I, I think that would be the one scenario would be extension-sensitive disc herniation in the acute phase, but ultimately with the goal of transitioning to a better sitting posture, for sure. So what are your thoughts on that? Have you had any uh, feedback with regards to acute disc herniations? Right. No. So people with acute back pain initially made me extremely uncomfortable because, you know, I think of our chair more as a prophylactic device, improving posture and core strength so that they never have another bout of back pain. The idea that you try and treat an acute episode of anything with some tippy chair, it seemed a little, it seemed like, well, we had no data for sure. And it's not necessarily the case that it would be helpful. But, you know, we do have CPM machines that we put people in in the OR before they even wake up from anesthesia, right, to kind of keep joints moving in a way that's helpful for healing. So the idea that motion could be helpful, you know, it's not completely foreign. It's something that kind of vexed me. And I thought, well, you know, to be on the safe side, we would say, you know, this is not for acute pain. This is, this is like to sit better so that you don't develop such episodes. 
well, you know these things, but I've had you know people begging me over the phone to drive to the UPS office at midnight and put a chair in the mail to them because their back is killing them kind of stuff. These are pretty uncomfortable people, and they, they're looking for a way out of a very uncomfortable situation. Most people with back pain don't have herniated discs or metastatic cancer or any elaborately, the sort of thing that you study in medical school. Most people have garden variety, musculoskeletal, nonspecific back pain. And for those people, even if they're in the throes of acute pain, our chairs have proved quite helpful. I wouldn't necessarily believe this, except we've got many, many emails from people who talk about their nonspecific back pain was killing them. Our chair shows up and they get on it and they feel better within a day or two. And they never look back and they don't have that pain anymore. And these kinds of testimonial emails make me extremely uncomfortable because I'm a lifetime academic researcher. I, I, I review for surgical journals. I have a master's in biosat. And I know, I guess, Richard Feynman, his Nobel Prize in particle, no, quantum mechanics from a couple of decades ago famously said, the first thing is you must not fool yourself. And unfortunately, you are the easiest person to fool. I don't want to be drinking my own Kool-Aid. It, it makes me uncomfortable when, we, when people are talking about how great this is for nonspecific acute back pain issues. But I'm gradually becoming persuaded that it might be true. So I don't actually make that as a claim, but I'm suspicious that it might be true. That said, you know, an acute disc herniation is kind of a horse of a different color. It would be well to let that settle down. Have you guys done any sort of like surface EMG studies looking at you know which muscles are getting activated from a data perspective we have some electrodes and some stuff that we're going to hook up and play with we also have we also found some great software that turns your pixel or your phone into an accelerometer so we can you know start measuring how much people are moving and in what direction stuff like that but really all of these objective measures require a lab and a lot of time and i'm probably not the guy to be doing it because i'm not really a bench researcher I'm an epidemiologist kind of guy. I've really relied on the epidemiologic literature and the anthropologic literature to kind of understand what's going on. We're looking to partner with a couple of labs that do this kind of work. We're also very interested in how sitting on one of our active chairs changes the basal metabolic rate. It's been measured in some other chairs that aren't quite as active as ours, so we have a pretty good idea of how our chairs affect the basal metabolic rate. We don't yet have research partners to do this kind of stuff. It's been hard in the era of COVID to do any research that requires subjects and so on. I think that's just fascinating that there's even a possibility that changing the chair I sit on can increase my basal metabolic rate. I mean, that, that right there is more fascinating even than the effect on back pain. Anyway, so you've been very, very gracious with your time. I appreciate you reaching out. And, you know, it really sounds to me like you're kind of on a mission. And it's not necessarily to sell chairs as much as it is to re-educate the community and the culture about the benefits of active sitting. And yeah, I did find your TED Talk to be compelling in terms of its application for our youth. As kind of a last talking point here before I let you go and enjoy the rest of your day, do you want to share a little bit about your vision kind of moving forward with this venture that you're involved in? Yeah, so... People have tried to help me because I have no idea about any of this stuff. And the entrepreneur types say, who is your market? You know, as though that were like the crucial question to answer. And 
Probably I know it is the most important question if you're trying to be an entrepreneur and make money. But I actually don't understand that question. I think sitting actively is really something that ought to be normal. I think everybody ought to be sitting on a chair that lets them move rather than be locked into a single position all day. It is a mission. You know, I, I want to make active chairs the norm. You know, the chairs that we're stuck with and really have been pushed on us by, I'll call them big chair. You know, only half a dozen companies in the country that make office chairs. And they all make the same chair. And all of those chairs have an 80% back pain rate. So as far as I can tell, they're all failures. So it's hard as a tiny startup to upend the idea of what a chair is. You know, everybody, so we were puzzled at first that when people land on our website, the bounce rate was 50%. You know, people land on our website, boing, they'd be gone in seconds. And the problem was that they're looking for a chair and they see what we're offering and they say, well, that's not a chair. It doesn't have a backrest or a headrest or armrest or footrest or lumbar support. It doesn't have any of that stuff. So I don't know how I got here, but it's a big mistake. And the answer is, it's a big mistake. But what's a big mistake is the chair that you think you're looking for. So it's hard if you're a little startup in Burlington, Vermont, to overturn over 50 years of big chairs message. Oh, you know, armrest, headrest, backrest, lumbar support. But it's essential if we're going to let people sit in a more natural way and get away from the epidemic of back. Turner, how can people get one? Oh, yeah, right. So people say, where can I try this out? And the answer is, boy, you know, we're a startup in Burlington, Vermont. We can't have bricks and mortar in every city in the country. But what we can do is this. We'll send you a chair. Just, and if you don't like it, send it back. And we'll pay the postage both ways. We're quite confident that you'll almost certainly love it. And to, to find us, it's Q as in Queen, QOR360.com. That's our website. We wanted to like spell it with a C, but all the C words were taken. So, but the Qs were left. So we got QOR360.com. And we also give away a design for kids to, for a chair for kids that uses a lacrosse ball as the rocking mechanism. We give away the design. Anybody can make one if they have access to wood tools and they can make them by the hundreds if they have access to a CNC router. That project has its own website, buttonchairs.org, U-T-T-O-N-C-H-A-R-R-S.org, but on chairs. It's the, the double entendre is intended for the middle school set. Is this kind of your full-time passion right now? Well, you know, it's kind of growing. I'm still an emeritus professor at the University of Vermont where I lead a COVID research group and I, I still do the experimental design and the statistical analysis for projects in the surgery department here at the University of Vermont. And I still squeeze in some Tai Chi and once I get my second blast of vaccine, I'll be back to doing martial arts. This is gradually becoming a full-time project because, you know, as a surgeon, you can only touch 10,000 lives in your life, you know, and then you're, that's it. That's about as many people as you can operate on and get in and out of the ICU. But as an epidemiologist, you can touch hundreds of millions of lives. So my idea is that, you know, this is my last chance to really make a huge difference in people's health and comfort. Well, it's amazing uh, what can happen and what can start by asking a simple question. And in this case, the question is essentially, how are we supposed to be sitting? Is the way we're sitting now serving us? So I find the topic to be fascinating and I appreciate you reaching out to me and it's been a pleasure getting to speak with you. 
and kind of share your message because anything that promotes better posture, less back pain, less suffering in the world, I'm all in favor of. So thank you again for your time today. No, and thanks for your great questions. It's, it's these kinds of conversations that help me think more deeply about how our chairs work. Yeah, stay in touch. I really enjoy talking with you. Telling you you're a fascinating, fascinating physician person, and I love the mission of helping people. Thank you for listening to this episode of Back Talk Doc, brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, with offices in North and South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Lockia and treatment options for back issues, go to backtalkdoc.com. We look forward to having you join us for more insights about back pain and spine health on the next episode of Back Talk Doc. Additional information is also available at carolinaneurosurgery.com.